Start in T minus ten seconds. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. We have ignition. Ahoy there, and everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unconstitutional Awakening. I wanted to share that video to, you know, open up this lap, you know, this part of First Lightning because this has been quite the uh, quite the dive into nuclear history and things like that. And I just wanted to share it with everyone because, you know, I thought it found it really cool because it shows some of the realities of, you know, nuclear explosions and stuff. And you know, we've we've been going really deep in this whole whole thing about you know, nuclear, and, you know, nuclear tests and the Cold War and all the effects that has been going on. And I appreciate, you know, Neptune for having all of this great information and this great knowledge to share with us. And, you know, I just, I just wanted to share that part with you before we got into this next episode of things. So how's everyone doing on this great day? Good. Thanks again, Jimmy. Oh, good. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I guess, you know, let's get right in it since I wasted everybody's time for the first few moments of the show. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, last time we we kind of talked about, you know, not even on purpose, but the the more nefarious side of, of nukes is the reality, either by accident or on purpose, we're met with the very real possibility we could come into blows with another nuclear powered nation. Right. Uh, and Russia always comes back to my mind, like I said in the first episode here. We, we really talked about how this distrust between Russia and the United States, it's almost inborn. It's gone on for, for really for as far back as our grandfathers fought, fighting in the Second World War, um, maybe even further than that. And when we think about these things, we think about kind of the totality of how we got into this position with nukes. It, it kind of it takes me to a point that I feel like it's appropriate to talk about the attempts we've tried to make over the years toward, you know, nuclear disarmament, uh, really thinking about it from the context that while we write down on paper, I promise, uh, you know, almost a scout's honor thing that I promise to, you know, draw down my my nuclear arsenal or fully denuclearize you know those things are great on paper but they've never been a reality i i mean it goes back to it goes back to the 60s you know kind of the the real first fight of the cold war 
you know, when we're talking about uh, false alarms and, you know, those moments closest to midnight, especially, you know, after the Bay of Pigs, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, during the Vietnam escalation, we were we were really close to to nuclear Armageddon. But, you know, there's been times where they've attempted to denuclearize. And I'm, and I'm specifically talking about the, the nuclear, the non-proliferation treaty that was uh, initially signed, I believe it was 1968. So, you know, there have been several signatories over the years, and we'll get into more of that. The, uh, the treaty between the United States and the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic, the uh, yeah, so that happened a little bit later. Um, so the the kind of the real origin point, though, of the, of the discussion is is really with the NPT. Now, the the INF was signed in '86, and that was directly between the U.S. and Russia. Over the years leading up to that, were a lot of talks and attempts to reduce the amount of nuclear arms that every nuclear-powered nation had at its disposal. And while it is true that many nations have reduced or eliminated the nuclear arsenals, um, the five uh, permanent members of the United Nations Security Council, we still have more than, than anyone else on Earth ever will. And, you know, the, the size of those nuclear arsenals, especially even between Russia and the U.S., the, the largest two of those. I, I think about it in the terms that we talked about reducing numbers, and yet it seems like that's never been a true reality. Right. So in 86, uh, Reagan and Gorbachev, they signed the INF Treaty. And we're, we're talking where the Soviet Union is on its deathbed. Right. So we're talking 1986, and they want to reduce the number of short and intermediate range uh, ballistic missiles, which sounds great on, on paper. Uh, you know, politically, there were attempts to uh, really move back forward arsenals that were used by NATO nations and by nations of the Warsaw Pact, the Soviet Union. and. You know, while we talk about, you know, reducing that, it did nothing to reduce the, you know, the amount of, of actual ICBMs or intercontinental ballistic missiles. That still presented the, the largest threat because both the U.S. and the Soviet Union could still make an immediate response if, you know, as we talked about last time, there were any number of these potential false alarm scenarios and the real hatred with the West and, and between the Soviet Union was really building up. Uh, there was a, a lot of distaste for uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, who's famously known as the, uh, the one inside the Soviet Union who directly contributed to the Soviet Union's collapse. Um, not just within the the standards of themselves, the, the economic uh, problems that the Soviet Union was having, but making trying to make peace with the United States is something that everyone wanted to put to bed 
uh, as far back as the immediate distrust following World War II when nuclear armament had really ramped up because we didn't trust each other in the 40s. We still didn't trust each other 40 years after that. So that's, that's kind of kind of what I would like to talk about a, a, a little more in detail is understanding, you know, the, the long-term ramifications of this hatred between our two countries and, and, and how that's put us where we're, where we're at today, especially with the very real possibility that uh, nuclear annihilation, the, the threat of it is still real. Very. I mean, absolutely. No, I mean, it, it's a, that because the reality is, is that there are places that they do, that they do exist and countries that don't have, you know, the best of intentions out there for people holding on to them. And it's, it's, you know, and I, I personally, you know, we all know my feelings on like our own government holding them too, because they're kind of incompetent too. So it's just, it, it seems like one of those things back to the old, they, they just, they never questioned if they should do something with this. Like I, I, I the, the whole, I, Paul said it best a couple episodes ago, the whole dick slinging contest about, yep. you know, who's got more of this and more, and it's at the end of the day, you're just threatening to wipe the planet clean with a nuclear holocaust like that's that's insane right i think the doomsday clock has been moved the closest to midnight that it's ever been when this whole thing with uh us ukraine and russia i think that we're the closest to midnight that in history yeah i think they've got it just like 10 seconds to midnight or something i think that's the closest we've ever been Really? Yeah. You know, okay, so talking about, like, nuclear disarmament will never happen. I don't care how many treaties you bring about. Nuclear disarmament will never happen because nobody wants no no superpower or power. There's difference. Nobody wants to be the weak one in the playground. Nobody wants to be the weak boy in the playground, you know? Right. Even if it came down to it, it will never come down to it. it. They can put it on paper and say, oh, look, hey, Russia, China, Europe, U.S. has no nukes. I guarantee we would still have nukes. I guarantee we would still have lethal delivery platforms. I guarantee it. And so we say we're not going to produce any more nuclear weapons. That doesn't mean that our existing arsenal – we can't make m- more lethal delivery systems like the the hypersonic missile platform yep that they're that we've been threatening to shoot down each other's satellites with sure that sure. is a delivery plat that can be that that's a delivery platform for a nuclear weapon i guarantee it and the fact that we could deliver a nuclear weapon to anywhere in russia uh, in a matter of just a couple of minutes is terrifying to say yep. the least and that's not just going across the uh bering sea or the bering strait that's not ta- going across the bering strait that's going across the atlantic ocean yeah. in just a matter of just a few minutes well and, and let's talk about something culturally if we can for a second bandit um i know you know being raised as a uh, russian american 
it is very common in Russian culture to always have an ace up your sleeve, right? So say For real, though. Say hypothetically that there are some treaties signed where, you know, we all, we all agree, all parties involved agree to disarm themselves of all of their nuclear yada yada, whatever. At the end of the day, we know those Russians are going to hold on to their nukes. And at the end of the day, the U.S.'s track record really is not great either. I know 100% we'd hold on to I know China would. It, any nuclear power would be stupid not to, unless just... unless we find a more oh. Oh. looks I like I got. You. I apologize. I did not mean to click that. My hand. I was moving <laughs> over the face. So go ahead. My apologies. Oh, good. I thought I, was, thought I was talking some bullshit for a second. I was no. like, oh, hope I'm stepping no. on any toes. Here. No, no, no. My bad. Okay. Um, I just, if we find a more lethal way to effectively dispatch our enemies, I feel like that is the only way where we would be like, yeah, nukes don't even matter anymore because they're like Stone Age compared to what we have now. That's the only reason I could see us actually reducing the number of nukes and nuclear programs and whatnot. But realistically, I agree with you. We wouldn't. And still, we wouldn't. The only thing that we have effectively like uh, disarmed ourselves of is uh, chemical weapons. Yeah, I think that was yeah. the only middle ground that countries came up came to was that, okay, ch- chemical weapons are one of those things that we invented that we just wish that we could just say uh, we could go back in time and just uninvent because they're so they're they're nasty man they're nasty there is no quick death when it comes to chemical weapons but nuclear weapons it's like we are seeing right now what happens to a country that gets rid of their nuclear weapons i.e ukraine look what happened to ukraine they got rid of their nuclear weapons and just got invaded by russia but yeah. uh, and, I'm and putting I, it in layman's terms that people will, it, it, we all know what's, we, the four of us know what's really going on, but I'll say Russia invaded Ukraine because they didn't have nuclear weapons. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll just leave it. We'll sure. just leave it at that. And I, but and I agree. We're, we're, Sorry, Ben, go ahead. We're seeing, yeah, no, 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 we're good. I, that's just, you know, we're seeing firsthand what happens when a country gets rid of their nuclear weapons right there. Yep. Ukraine. And and I happen to agree with the with the assessment too, right? We'll never get rid of nukes, and the only reason that we won't is that no one wants to take the responsibility of being the one who fired the first shot, but no one wants to give up their second strike capability. Just like you you mentioned, exactly. Bandit, uh, you know, the hypersonic platform is is very real. I do believe that that could be weaponized if it's not already. And then the even more terrifying threat for anyone on earth are the fact that all of the major powers, all of the big, all the big hitters in play also have now uh, the capability of uh, submarine launched ballistic missiles. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even we put, even putting aside, you know, uh, you know, dead hand protocols, like is known that Russia is capable of and that which we are capable of, even if you decapitate command, n- nuclear launch scenarios from submarine officers is still very real and 
even taking away that, we still have enough ordinance, uh, nuclear nuclear powered ordinance, to destroy the planet four times over. So yeah, I no, I fully agree. I I don't think we can ever fully truly move away from absolute disarmament because no one really wants to give up that capability. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that is that is my assessment of you know as, as at least as far as the permanent members of the Security Council because we're still talking about the same countries: Russia, China, the U.S., U.K., and France. Like none of us are going to give up our nukes. There's absolutely no way in hell. Uh, I, I agree 100. percent So, and so if we did, I mean, it would only be on paper. Nobody would know for sure. And okay, let's say if theoretically that it came down to like for real, everybody honestly did uh, get rid of their nukes. Yep. Like in theory, okay. Um, it wouldn't take long before uh, a country would be like, we're going to build one. And then the whole thing starts all over again. Starts all over again. It'd be just a vicious cycle. That's all it would be. There'd be a period of time where everybody would think, oh, finally, world peace. There's no nuclear weapons. (laughs) Give me a break, man. Okay. And then the whole vicious cycle would start all over again. Yeah. To piggyback off that, Bandit, like I was saying, if that was realistically the circumstance, I think the only thing that would lead to that circumstance is having a weapon that's so much more advanced and efficient than a nuke, which I can't possibly imagine with my stupid, feeble little brain, that it Um, it just doesn't even make sense to bother with nukes anymore because there's too much fuss about them. Yeah, and it's... It, it, it is this constant jockeying for power that is human nature. I mean, right. people all people always want to be somebody. Always wants to be in control, in power. Best way to do that is to have the big weapon on the playground. You know, the yeah. one that could quash anybody. You know, it it, it is a vicious cycle. Um, humans always want to be in power. Always want to be in control. Always want to be able to wipe out somebody and be like, "Hey, you're going to listen to me, or I'm going to wipe you off the planet." Well, that kind of doesn't work now because so many countries have nuclear weapons. I keep going back to India, Pakistan. They are the biggest two standoffish countries with nuclear weapons in the world. They are more so than the U.S. and Russia. Yeah, I agree. They are more so than Russia and U.S. Yeah. Um, they uh, everybody always jokes around that they they've almost come to nuclear war based on a cricket game. Uh, and I, I, you know, I don't doubt that, you know, I don't doubt that one bit. Like, when, uh, just recently when India accidentally launched that, um, non-nuclear missile into Pakistan accidentally, um, I bet there I were people do. in the Pentagon, there were people in the Pentagon going, holding their breath, like, uh, 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 um, uh, where when is the so weapons flying? You know, when is the when are we going to see the uh, mushroom clouds? Because I mean, they're they're just standoffish. Um, yeah. and that's what it comes down to: with nuclear weapons. Every, everybody can be standoffish now. Like, no, you see, you can't do anything to me now. I've got nuclear weapons. You've got them. I got them. If you use them, I'm going to use them. No, and but uh, okay, I know this is this is claimed that I guess it would would be implausible or whatever, but. 
I, I of course say that there's never anything implausible. You, you, there's, I always feel like there's somebody out there that they don't even, even know about even like working on this kind of stuff. Like there, there are people smart enough to figure this out. This is, you know what I'm saying? And like, look at places like that don't actually have true programs, but kind of like North Korea and like, sure. He makes jokes of a bombs. I'm not even trying to give him any kind of credit whatsoever. I bet they have one. But I bet they have. I bet they one. have a couple. I bet, I bet they, they have, have a couple, couple small, small, small yeah. nuclear and, weapons. And, there and, are and, countries and, out there that aren't on that aren't on any register, and I guarantee they've got a couple of nuclear weapons, unregistered yes. nuclear weapons. I bet yes. there are more than a couple. Yeah. I'm going to say there are a few dozen unregistered yeah. nuclear and, weapons. Yeah, and I yeah. So no, that's no, that's a perfect summation of that. Is that so? They talk of it uh, in the sense that having the knowledge to do it is what is known as a born secret. You are not supposed to divulge this information if you have the means or the knowledge by which is needed to develop that technology. And yet, blue slips sink ships, right? We all know this phrase. So it means nothing to especially in some of these more impoverished countries. Hell, I'll use North Korea in this example. It would mean absolutely nothing to them for the money that they've made uh, sending their guys off to, to mine uh, in Russia and, and, and do, uh, do lumbering to use that money and, and reach out to someone who is willing to you know say, I don't, get paid enough to have to deal with with this shit right and, and get at least a, a a concept to put that together and, and begin developing that and once you know one person opens their mouth it's going to get around i mean it it is the reality of it is human nature no no secrets stay sacred forever everything comes out in the end and I've always been well, a firm believer and, of that. And 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 me, you know, I'm I'm you know, since I I divulge into the world of what ifs a lot, like, you know, I I believe that there's been kind of you know similar, possibly maybe a nuclear fallout before due to things like hieroglyphs and stuff like that, you know, and just weird proofs out there. And and so like with that, like I I don't believe there's anything new underneath the sun, and I don't believe that this information is really like that i guess detrimental like secret type knowledge truly like i think it's something that could you know could be found yeah. honestly by any we've human taught, on the face I mean, of this planet but like it's we've just, talked about it before sure. like nuclear weapons or the concept of nuclear weapons are thousands and thousands of thousands, years old thousands. they've been dying yeah uh the iron rod of well, the iron rod of mahabahatra i i can't i'm not gonna butcher it anymore um yeah. Ten thousand years ago, um, yeah. they have um, it's it's written in it. Also, it's written in Sanskrit. Like they have um, evidence of some type of weapon like that being used. They called it the rods from God or the iron arrow from God or something like that. I'm probably butchering it, but everything written down about it vividly describes the use of a nuclear weapon something that could wipe out a city a uh a bright light that could wipe out an army um er and everything described thereafter the burns the blindness the hair loss stuff like that describes radiation poisoning 
Yeah, you know, it's nothing new. It really is not. And and think of it in the long in the longer scope of just the 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 research and understanding that goes into that is that it's all been derived from warfare. Because if one thing is true in life, it's that warfare is a primary driver of innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, think of it in the con- in the concept that we talk about nukes today, but what if we were talking about anything else? The development of modern firearms, oh, men of <laughs> men of the old of the men of the bronze and stone ages could use rocks that were turned into bow and arrows. And then ninth century, ninth century China, Tang Dynasty, the invention of gunpowder. Mm-hmm. You know, the hand grenades have their origins in the Middle East, dating back to Constantinople. Mm-hmm. If we are good at one thing, it's that we are good at devising new ways to kill each other. Yep, That's that the is human race. Yeah, that is the absolute truth. But yeah, so that. No, that's that's really important when you when you think about making these promises on paper. And I and I say this with air quotes because we'll say that we are disarming. Uh, you know, I, I was mentioning before we actually started the call uh, to 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 Ox. You know, uh, offer one hand but arm the other. Right? It, yeah. It's almost human nature. So you know, and that's kind of how you know. You know, starting with the INF treaty in in eighty six that Reagan and Gorbachev signed, you know there were follow ups to that. I mean, they they wanted to. And going back to your point, Bandit, they were looking at delivery systems. They wanted to reduce uh, capabilities. You know, weapons platforms. Not just they didn't really talk in so much as a number of a number of weapons on paper, except for one in particular. We'll talk about a little bit later. But they talked about reducing the capabilities of delivery systems. So let's talk about start one. So, you know, start one there. There's a an increased pressure uh, following uh, the, the fall of the Soviet Union uh, to really to really get in there and, and try to curtail that that arson. And, you know, by this time, uh, Gorbachev is out. I mean, he you know, there were two, there were two major events that occurred. Uh, immediately after the Soviet the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, that were really significant, and it, it led to Boris Yeltsin took over for uh, in in Gorbachev's stead, and uh, Yeltsin is the one who signed uh, the Start One with uh, George H W. And that one, they, they talk about the. Reducing the capabilities of delivery systems. Uh, specifically, I believe in the original Start One, it was multiple independent reentry vehicles, and that Mer- has Merv. a yeah, MERS. Uh, we were talking about those, and that in and of itself is sort of a a oh, precursor can, can to I, our. Can I, can I can I stop you just for one second and explain what a MERV is? Just Go like Reader's Digest version. Yeah, sure. A warhead will have multiple nuclear warheads inside of it, okay? Like a, like a nuclear cluster bomb, okay? And it enters the atmosphere. The cone will separate, and these individual reentry warheads will split apart and find their individual targets. 
terrifying, man. I don't even know what that the is new, terrifying. That's that's. I don't even yeah. know what the new warheads. How many different reentry vehicles they can have? The I it's somewhere in the neighborhood of twelve to fourteen, maybe sixteen. And like, I, I want to piggyback. I I will give it right back to you, Tristan. The uh, one thing I want to piggyback on is like nuclear weapons are not new. But bringing up this MERV thing, the only thing that we develop upon further is the delivery platforms for nuclear weapons. We don't further develop the nuclear weapon itself. We just develop its delivery platform, making it faster and trying to put more into a smaller package and packing that smaller package multiple times into a larger vehicle. That's that's it. To make it more green, make it more fuel efficient. <laughs> <laughs> now, think about that too, though. So, I'm let's sorry talk. to interrupt. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I gotta let you know. <laughs> I gotta got let you know. Kidding. Listen, listen. I've gotta, I've gotta let you know that on an internet search for what you just spoke of, I was just informed that I'm a conspiracy theorist, and that's a myth. <laughs> what is <laughs> the MERS system? The MERV system? Yeah, or whatever you were talking about, like you like the bomb yeah. delivery system. I was that's I, a thing. I How just got I just got told I was a conspiracy theorist for trying to look it up because I wanted to bring it up to try to bring it. The first thing that comes up is debunking myths about it. And I'm just like, wait, what? Wow, oh, okay. And so, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there. Apparently I could we're be crazy very for wrong. believing in these things. I could be very wrong in the numbers. It could be two or three. It could be four yeah. or five nuclear weapons. But then I don't <laughs> know because I'm not don't. have. I'm not like searching yeah. it right now. Sure. I'm not like a no. I'm, and I'm not. I'm not discrediting you. Weapon. I'm just letting you know that that yeah. that they that they say that that's that's hearsay. They don't have things like that. Yeah, so let's, let's just put that in perspective for a moment. Other than the fact that the reality that we've used and tested MERV platforms yeah. are a very real thing, mm -hmm. uh, the last number that I knew they could carry was up to six. Now, I'm being yeah. conservative with that. Now, even if that is the low ball estimate of the number of nuclear warheads in which a MERV can deliver, Please take into account that each of these is also going to carry up to at least and or at least six nuclear tip warheads, which are capable of anywhere between 100 and 300 kilotons of explosive yield. Oh. That is over 500 times the amount of TNT that was dropped on one of the two cities in Japan in 1945. And, and that's just one. Boy. That's just one Merv. And that's just one Merv. Okay. So, when you put it in that context, you are still looking at absolute destruction of that target. That could wipe out the East Coast. Yeah. Oh, nothing one. survives. Not flora. One. Not fauna. Not infrastructure. Not humans. And That's another everything. thing that brings up, and that another thing that brings up is uh, everybody wants to talk about. Um, defensive capabilities against uh, nuclear weapons. Okay, missiles. Okay. Yeah. You, you, the first thing you have to take into account is these ICBMs are so high in the atmosphere, it is, it is unfathomable. Okay. You have to target these things that are flying. Say, I mean... 
at an ungodly speed. And let's look at how many they have. There are two scenarios that they play, that FEMA and the CDC play out. Okay. There is a 2000 warhead strike map. And then another one that is a 500 warhead strike map. There is no win-win situation if everything is launched. Yep. Oh, it's only 500 warheads. Uh, you, you really don't understand this, D. I mean, you know, there is no win-win. Whether, whether 500 hit or 2,000 hit. And that's just taken into account, like, if that is if they get a chance to launch, if Russia gets a chance to launch everything they have that is ready to fly at the moment, which from my under, my last understanding is a, they may have 6,000 nuclear weapons. They have 6,000. Okay. We only have a few hundred more, I think. Uh, they only have 1,100 to 1,500 that are capable of striking the U.S. The others are suitcase, uh, short range, t- tactical nuclear weapons, small, you know, small yield. ICBMs, it's, they only have some, they only, I mean, they have 1,100 or so something ICBMs that are either ready to fly or in a semi-state ready to fly, okay? And uh, there's this whole uh, talk about, like, well, they only spend a few billion a year on maintaining their nuclear weapons, and that sh- their their the technology behind their their launch uh, their launch systems is, you know, thirty years old, forty years old. There's I I've read a little bit about this, and it's like there's a reason that they left their launch technology and their launch systems, you know, thirty forty years old. That useful layer of rust. You can't hack a system that is 40 years old, that is not connected to the internet, that, is, that has no wireless capabilities. You know, you can't hack it. You can't remote, you, you can't hack it, you know? It's yeah. actually a safety thing. They've actually said that it's a safety thing that they keep it like that. And, and I you don't know, doubt it. Yeah, no, and when, you, and when you think about it in those terms, I mean... Taking a step back for a moment, we can go back to the early 80s talking about the Strategic Defense Initiative, talking about the military program known as Star Wars, where there was a thought in mind that uh, they could develop a system that would be able to shoot down or otherwise render uh, nuclear delivery payloads uh, inert. And the thought was by the time that it ever was developed, that technology could have outpaced uh, the, the the means to defend it, and yet here's the here's the real fucked up reality of that is that we are looking at nuclear armaments that are now forty years old or more that are not connected to the internet, are analog, analog hardware. They are not connected to the internet. They additionally have. Uh, ancient uh you know digital interfaces which don't compute in in modern military defense terms you could build a line of sea whiz guns to defend against these things and the sea whiz guns wouldn't even be able to target them 
so it it really it was a point in it was a point in time when it essentially was going to always be doomed to fail because they've always talked about these these ways in which we can defend against noobs, right? And that one always sticks out in my mind is yeah, the SDI was pretty much shot down because they thought it was too costly of an investment, and then they thought people would advance their their nuclear uh, technologies. And when in, when in reality, the the opposite was true. So it's just something to chew on. No, no, absolutely. And, you know, and, and it just, it, it seems that at the end of this, you know, that, I mean, I, I, I guess it's, I still personally come to the conclusion is like, I guess, I guess why, why are they just gonna? I mean, when, when, when is it going to come to a stop really? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like who's, yeah. what's going to stop it other than blowing them all up, you know, or them going at it's each not. other because it's, it's right. not, it's not gonna stop, man. It's yeah. just one of those things. And it, let's just let's just say for a moment the human race is here 500 years from now. Maybe. Okay, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Be lucky to make it five years. But let's just say, let's put 50 years on the table. Okay, let's just make it good. Let's make 50 years. Nuclear weapons are still going to be a thing. Sure. Nuclear weapons will still be here. We're all talking about we're all talking about the missiles. We're all talking about ICBMs. Let's talk about nuclear subs. Where are the missile subs at? How many does each? How many do the countries have? How many do we have? How many? Do, how many out parked off the coast? How many parked off Russia do we have? How many does Russia have parked off the U.S. coast? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of those. Uh, that's one of those unknown things too. And the thing is, you can see ICBM platforms. You can see where land-based missile systems are parked. You can see where silos are. You can't, can't see, see the missile subs. And they can stay down. And I've had the pleasure of being on one submarine, though I was not deployed to it. The the Mm. most terrifying thing about a sub is that the nuclear powered subs that are capable of delivering uh, these missile systems in five minutes or less, uh, they can stay down, uh, provided they have resources and rations. They can stay down upwards of eighteen months. months it's 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 whoa yeah. whoa i didn't realize i mean i knew I knew they could stay down for some time but i didn't realize it was that long like that they can they oh, can yeah, die that's upward, like, upward of 18 months that's not wow. practiced that's not practiced right it's but not practiced, like a, but it's but not it's, a standard it's a not a standard that yeah that's not a standard uh, naval deployment, submarine deployment. Sure, eight, sure, but I mean, but I mean, months. but like with, but with that capability, uh, you could still have something down and underneath there for multiple months at a time, even, mm-hmm. and, and and like you know, not not even have a clue and it go somewhere else and rise when it you know ride or resurface and stuff. Yeah. Like you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's a that's a I, that brings me back to like when Josh was telling me about. Um, these the the submarine drop-offs in las vegas because there's there's grounds underneath that go there and he's like he and he got to see them and shit like it was just like what and he said that you know he was telling me how submarines travel from the great lakes back to the ocean on a regular basis because there's tunnel systems under the ground of ocean that connect so like you you could be underneath there for god knows how long and that's terrible yeah baja california is connected uh, 
to uh, to Indian Springs. Yeah. So that's 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 scary stuff, but it's real stuff. And yeah, like like Bandit said, it's that's not practice, but they do have the capability of doing that. And the reality of nuclear of nuclear powered submarines is that uh, those nuclear fuel cells. Uh, Bandit, keep me honest here. Fifteen years. Fifteen years. I think fifteen to it's fifteen to twenty years, something like that. It's it's like the same way with the aircraft with aircraft carriers. It's fifteen to twenty years. They don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that was the whole purpose, though. Like with a nuclear powered submarine, um, make them sustainable at the the end. Yep, sustainable underwater without having to resurface. I mean, they can. Excuse me. They can make their own fresh water. They can make their own oxygen. Um, you know, they can um, their black water and dump their uh, solid waste after it's treated on board. It's 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 a uh, it's it's a it's it's an actual it's a, almost like a self-contained ecosystem. Yeah. If you, it really is though. It's like yep. a self-contained ecosystem. They can stay under for months, provided they have the the food supplies, because they make their own oxygen and water. Right. So yeah, I mean that was a I, I that was just you know for for perspective there, Jimmy. I mean that's just when you when you think about it in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, the submarines themselves are probably the single most terrifying thing to to any nation, even in a even post-world nuclear annihilation, you know, the country tries to come back for round two. Anyone, if there's a sub out there that can be called on that still has the capability, they can drop another nuke on someone's forehead if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that's scary shit. Mm-hmm. It's coming real quick. It, it really, it, no, it really is. And I, I just, I, you know, and that's and that was the point of you know putting these episodes together is I just thought this information you know really should be out there like that's why when you come to me about it I was just like yeah like you know like, yeah. let's talk about it let's talk about you know the different ways they have tried to prevent it and stuff like that like I mean because there has been you know like we covered last episode tons of mishaps and just wild right. things have happened well, I think right. it's joked it's joked about online so much by just so many people everybody knows about it everybody knows about the whole how close we are to uh nuclear annihilation with russia everybody knows you know it's talked about it's talked about but i don't think it's discussed you know people joke about it without really knowing what is involved what what really happens when when nuclear weapons are detonated when nuclear weapons are launched I, I don't think people quite grasp that because I don't think they choose to. I don't think I don't think we to. talk. We don't talk about it enough is, is the reality, or at least outside of this audience. I don't feel like the 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 message, you know, the the underlying implications. I don't think we're willing to talk about that. We're willing to talk about the what ifs, maybe, but we're not willing to discuss, you know, especially how. You know, all these circumstances, especially surrounding our, our current crisis dealing between between Russia and Ukraine, uh, the possibility that 
uh, under Article 5, if a NATO allied nation is attacked, uh, such as Poland, uh, comes under threat, that we would be indemnified to respond. We don't talk about how we get to the point that this could really happen and I think I think it's a I think everyone owes it to themselves to to really try to to look into the history uh, of what we've talked about. But to that end, I would like to talk a, a little bit more, especially surrounding the implications of exactly what led us to right now. Why are we talking about Ukraine and Russia right now? Everything that we've been talking about in this series leads us back to the present day. And that is extremely important to me for a, a number of reasons, uh, mostly because everyone in, in my family, every man in my family has been involved in one of the conflicts of the, of the 20th century that I sort of have, a, a, I have a general understanding of what brought us to this point, but it was not until probably within the last five years or so that I truly got to the heart of how history is repeating itself all over again. And, you know, with, with that being said, let's take a moment. Let's, let's really talk about the, the start treaties themselves, you know, so, you know, leading up to, to start one, you know, there were talks, you know, peace and, you know, you know, McDonald's getting getting its own restaurant in inside of Moscow. And, you know, ironically, that that really makes me laugh now thinking about it, that that rest, that same restaurant, the first one that opened as a symbol of peace has now closed. <laughs> and yet here we are. But. So the, the way that sort of led us up to this point, though, is everything around the, the that collapse everything around the the soviet union being on its deathbed in the late 80s right we signed the inf and you know that was just to reduce you know the the number of short medium range and intermediate ballistic missiles right but then after the collapse the the soviet union had you know a, a all manner of nukes that were unaccounted for. And in the new government, there was intense pressure to account for those and figure out what to do. And the United States, less than numbers, was more focused on delivery systems. Like Bandit and I were talking about, delivery platforms are what make nukes work. Without a delivery platform, you got nothing. Even if you've got a nuke, the most you're going to do is kill your own people. But if you have a delivery platform, that's what matters. And the, the, the real concessions, the real talks around the, this nuclear uh, denuclearization, the, this non-proliferation uh, issue has always come back to what are we going to do to limit the delivery systems that will prevent us from having to enact the mad doctrine, mutually assured destruction. So we have, you know, we have right after, you know, the fall of, of the wall uh, in, in Berlin, we've, we've got 
a, a, a number of items on the agenda. We want to reduce those delivery systems. Gorbachev is out. Uh, there is a there is a coup attempt inside the, inside of the Russian Federation. Uh, old hardliners from the old Soviets. They still want to keep power. They don't want to make peace with the West. And that leads up to a, a matter of Russia being divided over, do we want to really be friends with the United States, a country that's hated us for the last 50 years, or can we make peace? And I, I say this as an open question because this has always been the point of contention since day one. The only reason that Russia even made an attempt to reach out and develop their own nuclear capabilities is because at the time that we were exploring the same capabilities, we did not share our knowledge with them because of this mutual distrust and hatred that we've both had for each other since the beginning. So I think it's, uh, keep me honest here, guys. I think it was 1992, um, August coup is the, is the name of the event. And during that time, there was an attempt by old Soviets to um, es essentially wrest control, wrest power back and put the, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union back in control. The attempt failed. Uh, it led to serious civil unrest in the country. And more than that, uh, it led to further distrust in the, the par parliamentary process, uh, which happened about a year and a half later uh, in, in a, in a follow-up where the Supreme Soviet, the, the governing body of the, of the Russian Federation uh, after the, the fall of the Soviet Union had been disbanded. There was a lot of animosity toward all any and all people who wanted peace with the United States and start one, start two treaties both occurred during this time frame. Both of those sought to reduce the, 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 the capabilities, right? And we're already talking about this in terms that we want to promise on paper that we will reduce our capabilities of destroying each other. We get to a point that we are prepared fully to move forward with that plan and sign both treaties. And yet we still have the, the point of contention that there are within the purview of the Soviet Union um, ancillary countries that were annexed by the Russian Federation during, during Stalin's Russia that had nuclear armaments. That includes Ukraine. And I think it was between 94 and 96. Uh, Russia had, as part of the, the, the UN agreement, agreed to protect Ukraine and its interests. As a contention of that, the requirement was that Ukraine would fully denuclearize. And while I think promises are often kept empty, 
Ukraine seemed to have made good on its that they gave their nuclear armaments back to the country that has now invaded them. They had somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 nuclear warheads at their disposal. All of them were returned to the Russian Federation, which the Russians have now in turn turned those around and aimed them squarely at Ukraine's capital and surrounding cities. So, just kind of a, a context clue there. It's a, it, I don't think it ever meant so much to, to other nations that we reduce delivery systems. If we promise to reduce those on paper, we never will in practice. And I think that goes both, as Bandit mentioned, both for us and uh, definitely for, for Russia as it stands today. My apologies. I had to mute for a moment. My uh, my children were getting a little rambunctious, but yeah, you know, and and you're and you're absolutely right. Like there's there's so many different factors and so many different things at play and in place for all of this stuff. And I don't I don't think people understand that. I don't think people really understand the true history of all of this nuclear type stuff. Thus, why you know I I've been you know looking forward to all this information out here. Is there anything else that you want to add into this, there, Bandit? I know you've been I looking do. forward to all this. I do. I do. I do. I got one last thing. I just came up on some information when we were talking about nuclear subs. Um, the entire, the entire, not just one or two, the entire Russian nuclear sub fleet in the Black Sea that are missile launch capable have all left the Black Sea. Every single nuclear-capable submarine has left the Black Sea. That is all. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and you, got, you got anything on that, Dan? Yeah. Or, yeah what uh, do you, got? you got anything what do you, on that, man? Yeah, you're just, well, well, that, you're just well, sitting there like, uh... You looked like, whoa... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, all that's of them. crazy. Every single um, one of them. The and entire the Russian... Why, yeah. So yeah. The, the reason why I gave that look was because it just means that they're not necessarily detectable. I mean, that is the point of a nuclear sub, is it not? I don't know what they're gearing up for, but, you know, we, we talk about this in our group chat sometimes, how things are going in Eastern Europe right now, and, and the there I call it the Eastern Front, you know? Um well, the thing is, but, it's like a regular nuke sub, like just a regular like strike sub. What would be like our um, Trident Ohio? I don't even know the new subclass. Seawolf, Seawolf, Seawolf class. I don't, I don't even know the new subtypes. Um, your regular like hunter killer subs, um, those guys kind of just like play games back and forth. But the big boys, the the uh, ones that are carrying nuclear warheads, um, you kind of just leave those guys alone. Yeah. Well, and so you really do. You kind of just leave those guys alone and you give them a wide berth and just, I mean, and that goes for our missile subs, 
Russian missile subs. Kind of just give them a wide berth. Like, hey, I see you. Hi, how's it going? All right. Yeah. Acknowledge, I, 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 know I acknowledge your existence. I'm just going to stay clear, okay? Yeah, it's, it, it's the head nod, so to speak. But well, it all goes back to the, it all goes back to the fact of um, Russia. Like we know they don't have an active. We don't. We know they don't have like an active stealth bomber fleet. Okay. Right. Our all, the U.S. is usually is pretty much the only ones with a stealth bomber fleet. Okay. We're we're all aware of that. Countries that we are currently like in standoffs with, like Russia, know that if those things take off, they only have a certain amount of time to act. Okay. So, who, I mean, because they can't, I mean, once they're airborne, can't find them. Okay. Unless you visually see them, can't find them. Well, Um, my my thoughts on this are kind of interesting, I guess, in that. Because those nuclear subs have the capability to be submerged for up to 18 months, right? And they have their their underwater ecosystem, so to speak, like we touched on earlier. They can get here no problem. They can be they can be hunkered down at the ocean floor right there at the Black Sea, and there's really fuck all anyone's gonna do about it. They've That's left just the, they've left the area. They've left the area. They're no longer so they've in the Black the Sea. They're gone. My question know. is, my question is now, where have they gone? You know, I know we're not snooping around Russia to try to find our nuclear subs, you know, with the serial number matches up and, oh, that's the one. You know, we're not stupid enough to, to get that close to the grizzly bear. But part of me wonders, are they floating around here? Are they floating around Taiwan? Are they going to help China with some sort of assault there? I mean, the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket, and we just don't know when it's going to happen. So I guess my curiosity lies in what are their other fronts that they aren't talking about? Because Ukraine, as much as they do want to take Ukraine and they've announced that they plan on taking Poland after Ukraine, I mean, it's not a secret anymore. My question is, what comes next and what aren't they talking about? Because this Ukraine thing is a great diversion, as we've seen. You know, I mean... What's going on with the Ghislaine Maxwell trial? Oh, focus on Ukraine, folks. It's like, you know, there, there's so much going on behind the scenes, so many moving parts that realistically we're ill-informed, and I think they intend to keep it that way. And the Russians are the masters of doing this, you know, the, the diversion. They, although they may not be historically the military geniuses that, uh, that others may be credited with, America. <clears throat> Um, they they know the game very well, you know, and and I think they're playing it to their to their advantage here, as anyone would. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, like that, no doubt there. So, so Neptune, I know you got something else to add to this. I already do. I do. So I was actually trying to pull this one last thing that I would like to close out with. Up. So I'm going to to read this to you just so you guys know this is from a an excerpt from uh, Europe's Next Flashpoint from the Jamestown Foundation uh, by Teres Cusio if you guys don't know who Teres Cusio is 
He is a brilliant uh, political strategist and uh, is pretty well informed on the, the inner workings of the Soviet Union. He is also the person that called it when in 2010 he wrote this book and in stating so that uh, Crimea would be, uh, would be annexed following the, the Maiden Uprising. So, um, bias aside, I'm just going to read this to you guys, and I would like to close with this because I leave this up to the interpretation of the readers. Absolutely. Ukraine has been given a difficult task by Western European, EU, and NATO members to pursue good relations with Russia at a time when Russia one of the five nuclear powers and members of the UN Security Council have given security assurances to Ukraine in return for its need nuclearization seeks to undermine Ukraine's sovereignty. In not taking Ukraine's security threats into account, despite the security assurances offered to Ukraine in the 1994 Budapest Mem Memorandum, where it was initially agreed that Ukraine would draw down their nuclear arsenal, the West's reputation could be damaged by its negotiations to halt Iran and North Korea from becoming nuclear powers. Ukraine gave up the world's third largest nuclear weapon stockpile between 1994 and 1996 in return for security assurances from five nuclear powers, one of whom, Russia, constitutes the main threat to Ukraine's territorial integrity. And in 2003, less than a decade after the Budapest Memorandum, Russia sought to annex Tuzla Island off the Crimea coast. As Horbalum and Bodrak argued, nuclear powers are de facto demonstrating a rejection of their responsibilities and those who are not speaking of a repetition bleh, sorry excuse me those who are not speaking of a repetition of munich in 1938 today in europe and ukraine are only ignoring the facts the soviet union never died Wow. No, I, don't, I mean, I, I, I don't think it ever did. I mean, that's that that's I don't I, you know, I don't think a lot of things ever died. I think they just in the in the age of information and technology, like everything moves so fast and in our face that things just get brushed under the rug and forgotten. Like, you know, like things, the Soviet Union did die, but the belief in the Soviet Union, um, the whole mentality, I don't think that died. But the Soviet Union is an actual like, huh? They rebranded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, in a way, they totally did. Yeah, yeah. As the as the Russian, as the Russian the federation. federation, federation. Hmm. Sounds a lot like Star Wars shit. <laughs> federation. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, totally, man. I, the belief system did not die. I totally didn't die. I mean, every 
they're still raising the communist flags in Ukraine. Some of the Russian soldiers are still raising the communist flag in, in Ukraine. Um, I think even one of, uh, I think even a group of them raised Stal uh, uh, Stalin's old unit flag ab yeah. uh, above one of the buildings that they took. 731th Red Army Guard. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not dead, man. Something like that. I mean, that <clears throat> the Soviet Union, I mean, the, the whole thing they brought with communism, I mean, that is a, uh, you can't kill an idea. You really can't, man. Whether it's a good or bad idea, sometimes you can't kill an idea. And yep. that, that communist system, that is going to be in, that, that is the very bedrock of Russia. Even though it's it's referred to now as the Russian Federation, that is the very bedrock of that whole country. That's what that whole country was built on from the very beginning. You know, yeah. it, it's gonna be there for a long time, whether people want to admit it or not. So, sure. well, yeah. so having a mother who came from Russia, and uh, to our listeners, if you don't know that by now, you probably just haven't paid attention to what I've been saying, but. My, my family tree goes back there for forever. And that's my mom's side and my dad's side. I took a DNA test and all that crap. Uh, don't get me started on DNA harvesting and information and whatnot. But that's beside the point. Um, they were taught this in school. They were indoctrinated from a young age that brave Lenin, right? The, the, the man who imposed communism in Russia, fearless leader Lenin, and Stalin did so much good for Russia because they took them from an agricultural shithole where everyone was a peasant and no one had anything to an industrial powerhouse where they were mighty and brothers stood together to fight for each other. And it's, you know, grade A indoctrination propaganda. And it's so funny because even in that reality that they lived in or the reality they were sold, right? where they go, we, we all fight for each other and we're strong communists and we're strong together. And now we have this powerful industry and we have some of the brightest minds and they do. Look, they have a lot of intelligent people and it's reflected, I find a lot of cultures reflect their level of intelligence in their humor, you know? I really believe that because there's a baseline level of intelligence that you have to have to understand some jokes. That's just the reality of it. Sure. So I think their humor is, I think their humor is, particularly brilliant uh could be because my grandfather has tremendous delivery but i think that the lie they were sold really sucked because my mom learned that they were going to move to america when she was a little girl in school right and she was furious with my grandparents she goes how could you betray communism how could you betray russia and your comrades and they go sweetie in america even the poor people have cars we're going to have two cars. And my mom goes, we're going to America. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, they're sold this lie and they eat it. You know, they, it's a hook, line and sinker. They're, they're, they're caught on it. And I, I think that a lot of people still look at it through that lens where communism was the reason why Russia was thrust into the modern age. And, but it was more out of necessity. It was more because they seized the means of production, so to speak. And they went, Make more tanks, make 
one rifle for every soldier and one extra magazine for the guy who's following him. And the reality is that's what communism brought them to. It was a complete and utter disregard for human life and human rights. And just, we're going to thrust ourselves into this modern day and age come hell or high water. And I don't think that factors for the human element. So, you know, I think that a lot of people, a lot of soldiers go, look how good we used to be and how far we've fallen and, and how disgraced we are on the, on the world stage. And how do we bring ourselves back to that former glory where we won World War II and we were a force to be reckoned with? You know, I think that's why they're misguided raising the communist flag and raising Stalin's battalion flag and whatnot. I don't know. That's, that's my two cents. No, no. I, I actually, I can totally see what you're saying because you know what? I see I, it. It's another level of statism. It is something that I even see in this country today that, you know, that they are they're you know it's just in their brain that that is you know that is right that is how they function yada yada you know i mean it's, there's a whole bunch of psychological stuff that you, you can get into dealing in such a subject like this and like it, i hope other people out there kind of understand what you were getting at there and and you know it all it all makes sense and like this this whole conversation has been you know just really spectacular it's been really a good history lesson for anybody that's been checking it out or you know even myself and i'm sure everybody included you know that that this is all just, you know, great stuff that I think more people should know. And that, you know, I, I employ you to dig into this stuff. Of course, I'll, I'll have some links from some of the notes and things we talked about here today shared in with this. And, you know, I guess, I guess before we wrap it up, is there anything else that anybody must pepper in? No? Looking all good here. Okay, fantastic. Well, of course, you know, you can check, check out the links for those, like, you know, some information that, we talked about here today so that you can further your knowledge in this and i employ you to dig some more don't forget to check out our awesome new merch at the unconstitutional awakening merch store that you can find at our website and uh we'll see you guys next time thank you for enjoying first lightnings part one two and three bye now